Welcome to Wine Country Women with Michelle Mandreau, the podcast for wine enthusiasts who are curious not only about what goes in the bottle, but the remarkable women who make these distinctive winemaking regions so special. Each week, Michelle introduces you to a prominent woman and takes a peek inside her life. Welcome to today's Wine Country Women podcast. I'm Michelle Mandreau, and I am talking with Carolyn Martini, who is from the Napa Valley. Carolyn, thank you so much for being with me today. Well, good good morning. (laughs) Yes, this is so much fun. I am delighted to have some time to sit down and chat with you and introduce our listeners to who you are because you have such a fascinating story. Before we get to all the nitty gritty good stuff, I want to first learn what one of your first full-time professional jobs was. Full-time meaning after school? Yes. Professional after school? Professional. I worked in a bank for uh, right up until I got fired. Uh, <laughs> Who would fire you? <laughs> <laughs> well, I probably deserved it in retrospect. But <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. What did you do at the bank? Uh, I was a, a bookkeeper, so um, ran the general ledger machine. And back, very small bank, brand new bank, so it was like six employees. And um, so there were two of us in the back room and then some tellers. And it was pretty interesting. I learned all my kind of my basic accounting there, but um, I just, it was in New Jersey. And I just kind of, I mean, the town that the bank was in, Re-elected their mayor, who was in jail at the time for embezzling public oh, funds. Oh my goodness! <laughs> so, you know, the whole scene in that place was kind of interesting. And anyway, I finally just got tired of didn't show up for work one day, and they called me up and said, "You know, come get your money out of the bank because you're done." <laughs> you said, "Okay, okay." <laughs> well, fast forward. You are a big deal here in the Napa Valley. You have been here for quite some time. You created an amazing brand, Louis Martini. So tell us about the story there and your role in that winery. Uh, Well, the winery, the Louis M. Martini on the label is my grandfather. And he started down the Central Valley in uh, Kingsburg, California. Um, And then he wanted to make fine dry table wines and he didn't think that was the area that would be best for that. So he looked around for property and ended up with the piece right on Highway 29 south of Santa Elena and uh, built the winery um, 1933 and he was still making wine in both places until 1940. So he was going back and forth on the train to, to Kingsburg. And, oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. These old guys just had, <laughs> I don't know where they got all their energy. Um, and then... Um, so he started it, and then he was a basically a very outgoing salesman type personality, and so he made the initial inroads, particularly in San Francisco, say because when he had first come from Italy, he had worked with his father, and they were fishermen, and they used to supply all of the Fisherman's Wharf restaurants and so forth. So he knew all these guys already. So we went down there and started. That's how he started marketing his wine, and. Um, then after my dad got out of the service after World War II, he came home and he sort of took over the vineyard aspect of it because um, he's much more, my, my dad is, was much more of a, almost a professor type. He was a, a quieter man and he'd do his careful experiments and he'd note down everything and and he made wine and he made, 
I think he made really, really good wine, but he was a little ahead of his time because the wines were very gentle and very balanced. And at that time, that was when all the roaring, the young, the young guys were all coming out of Davis and stuff, and they were making these big, powerful oak wines, you know, where my dad's thing was, if you can taste oak, you got too much. Right. I Well, I would agree with your dad, <laughs> for sure. Well, and I think people have gotten into that now. Right. They realize that. But it, it it was a couple of things. First of all, there were all these brand new wine wineries and brand new winemakers. And you got to get the wine out there and you got to sell it. So a lot of it didn't get a chance to age as long as it should have, given you're putting things in new oak barrels. Right. And so forth. So that was, that was uh, part of it was economic and part of it was style. So when did you get in so, involved in the business? Uh, so, um Right after college, I went and did a little jaunt back east just to, you know, cut the apron strings so that you can right. come back. And my dad had a heart attack, and they wanted someone to come home. They wanted a, a kid to come home. So I was the one that was in the position at that time to get out of the bank. Well, I was working at the Rutgers Library, actually, and got a library degree while I was there. So that's oh, that's how I ended up here. Um, <laughs> But, We're at the St. Helena Library But I figured right if now. I could do it with boxes of books, I could do it with boxes of wine. So so I, you know, packed up and came home to help, okay. help Dad out. And um, that worked out pretty well because I got to kind of start at the beginning in the, in the in, not in sales, but in the bookkeeping, learning all of the, that, how that works. Used to direct loading the containers. We used to ship on that railroad siding that was out in front of the winery, still is. Um, and so we loaded a lot of boxcars and, uh, just kind of got to learn all of it on the commercial side of it, not the grape growing winemaking artistic side of it, um, sort of from the ground up. Well, and you had a financial background. Well, I had the bank. Right. Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, you had some foundation. The rest of it's logic. I mean, you know, it's like, right. it's pretty simple stuff. It's like, you know, the customer has the money, we want it. Right, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the trick uh, is, how do you do that? <laughs> right, how do you get it? How do you get that money? What did you find most rewarding working there? Well, uh, you time? always have the camaraderie. If you can build a company where people get along, you know, and, and move it forward, where everybody feels like they're accomplishing something and so forth. That's a real upper. That feels great. Sure. And so uh, that's the part of it, you know, people don't talk about because it's built into running a company. I like seeing our ideas succeed. So if we came up with something, that the, the, the problem for a lot, I have a very impatient brother who was a winemaker. And, <laughs> and um, one of the problems for people is that it takes so long from the time you you either plant the grapevine or at least pick the grapes, make the wine, age it, bottle it, get it out through the system and so forth. I mean, you've got a two-year lag in there before the product you're working on gets to market. And so it's really hard for PR because it's, it's first of all, when you come to a winery, there's nothing happening except a whole lot of wine sitting in tanks. It's not that interesting to look right. at. Right. <laughs> and you, you've kind of seen one winery, you've seen them all. Right. right. So, <laughs> so that's why all of the beautiful, you know, facades and tasting experiences and everything have grown up because there's nothing else, else going on there. <laughs> except well, there's, wine. And there's beautiful surroundings. And... So, and ours wasn't so beautiful because that came out of an era that was just functional. And my father was a very functional guy in terms of how he liked things. 
your winery was one of the originals here in the valley yeah well 1933 the next winery built new winery built was robert mondavi in 1960 something or other so yeah there was a big gap in there the other people that started well you know the the peter mondavi side i mean they took over krug well krug was already in existence it was just out of existence for prohibition and then back in and kind of the same with this what's now the cia but christian brothers and so forth so yeah as a new winery and actually from the ground up build there was us and then there was mondavi 30 years later did your role change over the years well i went from helping out then at some point dad um uh dad decided he wanted to retire kind of at any rate um they elected me president so then i was ceo for the company and i really enjoyed that because if you have my ability is always to be able to kind of see the bigger picture and then break it down into little chunks so that's kind of what you have to do for people because the people on down the line are perfectly willing to go along with your vision but they don't want to have to think it up themselves so you give them the piece that fits for them and they'll they'll do it and they'll do a really good job on it but don't give them a piece of her piece <laughs> right <laughs> they just want their piece yeah <laughs> nobody else's <laughs> that's funny so you were at the helm for several years yeah 17 or 18 years what was one of your greatest accomplishments during that time fear just keeping the thing going just getting from one payroll to the next is an accomplishment as i tried to explain to somebody once this we're way past career here this is survival oh wow <laughs> how did your case production change over the course of the years well we my dad did a lot of um he tried a couple of things which probably wasn't the wisest thing to do it in terms of timing i think his idea was right but it, we couldn't work it out um uh, he he did some big custom work, which which counted in our cases f- for ATF's purposes, but wasn't our wine, or was our wine, but we sold it to them. They sold it, um, and the other part of it that he didn't seem to quite grasp was he didn't raise his prices enough, and so the wine was very very reasonable especially for what you got and the length of time it was aged at the wine all of those good things that go into it uh wasn't expensive enough so he didn't go into the whole conglomeration of wineries coming on board with a war chest which would have helped a lot because we could have done some advertising so forth and so on right but he didn't so he didn't have any extra money because he was always he always calculated that you your bottle of wine should not cost more than your entree Oh, and so he always tried to keep it in that range. So mm-hmm. you'd look at restaurant, go out to di- dinner, look at restaurants, things. So you know, fifteen bucks for an entree. Well, then your bottle of wine should cost. Uh, right. Well, by the time you back that through the wholesaler, and we had Parrot Company as an, an, a, a, a first stop, you know, distributor. You back all that up, you're getting less than, <clears throat> excuse me, less than half of retail at the winery. Right. And you're trying to run all this capitalist stuff on there. <laughs> so when you came in, did you make a change? No, not no. too much. I mean, we kept we kept going. We tried to uh we tried to slim down the line. He was trying to slim down the line because a huge amount of our tonnage at that point in time 
was like Mountain Red, Mountain White, and half-gallon jugs on the East Coast for pizza parlors and oh, wherever, okay. you, know, mm-hmm. you know, popular pores right. stuff. And, and most of the other wineries that actually got big <clears throat> or that were, <coughs> that are successful now have a, have a, a month, what do they call them? Money horse or money? <laughs> A money maker. They have something that they can that they can turn out a without a wine. lot of yeah, a bulk wine. Mm-hmm. And that they can get out there and it holds down all those all those table wine ends of the of the wine list and then they get a few of their varietals on there. Well we we didn't have this piece. And so we were trying to sell varietals into an increasingly competitive varietal market. And um it was it's and we're not salespeople by nature. He isn't. Once my grandfather was gone, he isn't. I'm certainly not. And um, uh, my brother was a decent winemaker, but <laughs> that's <laughs> he, good. He was a little. <laughs> he was kind of a little bit cantankerous sometimes. <laughs> well, you made a change with the business and you moved on. Do you want to talk briefly about that decision that you made to sell? That wasn't here. Th- this is my philosophy. So by this time, so my my dad died. And there was the four of us left and the basic assumption, they really didn't want to run the winery together. They just really didn't want to work together. But instead of thinking that through and just coming out and saying that, and then coming up with a plan to figure out what to do next, they, they, there's a tendency to get to fighting, right? Well, we, you can't afford to go through that. You can't drag a company through that. It never, ever works out well. Right. So, so, um, I think that the that the gallows had been kind of watching the market to see what was you know who was doing what, and they knew my my father was pretty good friends with Bob Gallo, and so he called me up one day and says, you know, do you guys have any interest in looking into this? Yeah. And then so we talked for a couple of years there actually, and um, off and on, and then nine eleven hit. And the next day after 9-11, we lost like 34,000 cases of United Airlines business. And uh, we weren't that big. And so it was kind of like, and that whole summer after that, we sold as much in that summer as we normally would have sold in a month. Oh, wow. And so at that, at that point, I called him up and said, you know this, you know, we've been talking about. Yeah, remember you were interested <laughs> in. Remember we, <laughs> now would be the time. <laughs> so yeah, we worked out a deal that was really uh really good for us, protective mm-hmm. of the family, which was important. And I think if people looked at the numbers, they wouldn't, they wouldn't be all that impressed, but it worked for us. And a lot of that was because we had such an old plant and equipment, we would have gone through two, two series of capital gains because, you know, if you, if you sell stock, I guess, no, if you don't sell stuff, if you sell assets, right? Then you've got to pay on the capital. You have to pay. Okay, all right. So in our case, you would sell the assets. The winery would still retain the cash, and then the cash would cash out the ownership shares of stock, and that would be another capital gain. Hits we would have lost two thirds oh, of whatever the number was. Right? Detrimental, yes. Yeah, and we couldn't have survived that. So they were willing to, they were big enough that they were willing to sit down and work out with us, something that would work, take care of mom, you know, take care of my sibs. So 
that's, well, that's awesome. Yeah. And what year was that? 2002. Let's get to where we are now. Now you have your own boutique brand. Yeah, we kept, uh, we, we had built a house on one of our ranches and we kept a corner piece of that, uh, ranch. So we have about 35 acres of vineyard out there. And, um, and I wanted to uh, do a little brand um, just to kind of keep a memory of the vineyard so that as well, we had to replant for phylloxera, but once we got it replanted, then I wanted to keep so that we could show people, you know, this area is really good for grapes and this is what you can get out of it and stuff. So we're, we make a little bit palette worth every year and uh, they're sitting all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> and this is out in Ch- Child's Valley. Out in Child's Valley. Um, and your brand's called Castle Vale. Castle Vale. Yeah. Because we live in a castle. Um, and we're going to talk we about built, that. That we built, hand-built castle. And we haven't got the wine on the market yet. It's still going through the TTB challenge. So did you start this brand because wine is in your blood and you just have to have you just have to keep well it was interesting because i never thought that it would bother my brother was the winemaker and i never thought that i i used to always say that he was the artist he got it to the bottling line and then it was my problem and i was the mechanic right that got it out there but uh as essentially you become you know the people you become part of the culture and you you kind of keep tabs even if you're not really involved in all the social activities and stuff like that you're still it's home and everything about it is familiar. And so I found that when I got to thinking about it, that if I was left without any connection at all, without being able to say, this is my wine, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd feel pretty bereft. And especially since I'm the only one of the four of us that are still living here. Oh. The rest scattered. So, okay. So, um, you know, just being here and, and being able to know people and, you know, talk to people at the post office and all that Right, kind of still have a presence here. <laughs> yeah, right, for sure. So um, I, I really wanted to have uh, just a tiny label. So, and optimize for the kids so that they can decide what they want to do. And it's part of their heritage too. I mean, my son, his last name isn't Martini, but he's fourth generation, so... So yes, it's something for him, should he choose to continue. What are the plans for the wine brand? How much wine do you have? What kind of varietals? And when can we anticipate seeing it on the market? (laughs) Or tasting it somewhere? um, The wine is being made at Brasswood by Angelina Mondavi. So we're kind of, you know, friends. Yeah. Friends. Keep it in the families. And... um, she does a just a stunning job. She's really good wine. So if we don't drink it all before we get it to market, <laughs> um, that's always a problem. It's right? always a problem. Um, right now, it's in it's in the queue at ATF for. I had to have a. You have to have bricks and mortar to get a Type Two license, and I wanted the Type Two, and I wanted a use permit for a winery. That took twelve years. Oh my goodness! We just finished that a year ago, or something. So. And then after that, once you have that, you can send all that paperwork into ATF. And because you have a promise of a bricks and mortar, right? You can get you can get the TTB license. Once you get the TTB license, you can get the California ABC license to sell. So, so we're at this stage, <laughs> and it got hung up in oh when they shut the government down, and then all of this Corona stuff and whatever else that uh, Angelina told me the other day. They got two people working on new 
applications at ATF. Oh. It's not going yay. anywhere in a hurry. <laughs> <laughs> this should be a warning to anyone who thinks they want to get yeah. into the wine business. Yeah, right now. <laughs> have enough money to carry yourself for at least 25 years. Right. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So it may be uh, another year or two, right? <laughs> It, it'll be a while, yeah. and then it'll it'll come out. I we're not planning to like hit the road and do any big massive right. things, so it's gonna it's gonna be kind of eked out there. Brasswood has a excellent program up there where they actually have a shop, they have restaurants, they feature the wines that are made there. So you could go it's, to Brasswood it, and taste. We start, yeah. You would be able to go to Brasswood and taste. There's there's little services in town like uh, Acme Wines. I think right. is still over there, mm-hmm. and they do that. They they handle little teeny bitty wineries like us. Absolutely, and they're wonderful little spots. Learn more about the women who live in wine country when you purchase one of our lifestyle books at winecountrywomen.com. You know you love wine, and with Total Wine & More, you'll always drink interesting. Total Wine & More has a ridiculously large selection of over 8,000 wines. From California to Australia, Bordeaux to Argentina, All the best wine regions in the world can be found in their aisles. Whether you're looking for a rare vintage or something fun and quaffable, Total Wine & More is the place for those who know wine. Okay, so now I'd like to talk about your personal life. If we took a step inside your house, or your castle, I guess I should say, because you've got this amazing English castle that you live in, what would we see? Describe it for us. Uh, well, it, it's actually a handmade castle. So my husband and his father and his brother and the two boys when they were little and he was taking care of them instead of daycare. They never went to daycare. And um, uh, the only thing that they got done by outsiders was hanging sheetrock for reasons anybody who has ever hung sheetrock will know. <laughs> Nobody wants to do sheetrock. Nobody sheet wants rock. to do that job. <laughs> um, so at any rate, the... the he built a basalt uh, block castle exterior and then a foot or a foot and a half inside he built a, a wooden a wooden building a wooden house and that gives you the deep windows and then they formed all of that and they plastered everything and the floor the the trim and the doors are recycled redwood staves from the big tanks we took down at the winery the a lot of the um, decking and also the window sills and these deep windows and stuff is pre-prohibition oak that my grandfather had bought and stored someplace and then after prohibition was over it was cheaper to buy new tanks than it was to reconstruct these things okay <laughs> so we the woods have just been sitting around um what was the other piece? He had three pieces in there. Oh, the flooring. The flooring is interstave, oak interstave from the winery. And we would take the pieces once they get all covered with uh, crystals, then you have to clean them off and whatever. So he'd clean them off. And it makes a, a kind of a antique looking floor because they're not the same color. They've I got stains it. and everything else. So and then they stained it pretty dark, which I think it looks beautiful when it's all cleaned up. But most of the time it looks like a ranch house. <laughs> <laughs> it's got character and charm. <laughs> and then we have a lot of stuff because we're both accumulators. So there's stuff everywhere. And that's kind of, you know, it's it, at least there's room for stuff, but you know. Right. So how would you describe your style? It's eclectic. I don't really care as long as the whatever it is works. 
and um, I'll I'll ask like my husband. He'll get halfway through a job of doing something, and I'll say, "Is it doesn't get back to it?" Well, it could really it. Some people would really bother, and I just ask him. I said, "Are are you done with this?" And he'd say, "Yeah, you know, I I could do this and I could do this and something else." I said, "Yeah, but are, do you plan to come back to this project any time in the near future?" Well, no, not really. It's kind of at the bottom of the list. Okay, and then I don't even see it. I don't see it. <laughs> it's like it's over. So it's uh, I guess we we are made for each other. You know, he can keep things how he wants, and I don't see it. <laughs> it's perfect. It's perfect. So. Do you have any hobbies? Anything that um, you collect? Things that you like to do? I, 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 re- I love to garden. Um, and uh, so we have a ve- good-sized vegetable garden. We have a little orchard that my son's trying to grow. I'm a little disturbed right now because his bees absconded with their hive. I didn't know they did this, but they if they feel threatened, they pack up all the honey and leave. It's not just swarming. They leave. And there's nothing out there except a few baby bees that, that, that miss the boat out. And um, it, I, I think it's affecting the set on my, all, I've got squash and tomatoes and all this stuff planted. And I see lots of blossoms, but I don't see any little stuff forming. You need to bring some more bees. Yeah, I mentioned that the today. <laughs> I think you're going to have to restock this bee thing because we're going to have no vegetables otherwise. Yeah. When you kick back and relax, what kind of music do you like to put on? Well, I was, uh, you know, I was uh, old in high school, which is, you know, probably before your time. Well, I don't know. Um, so I was came up with Dylan and Baez and all that. It was my husband did the classic rock and roll, and I did the folk song routine. So I'm still listening to those people, and then the '60s rock, and yeah, that's pretty much it. Um, okay, we're in wine country. Other than your own wine, what do you like to drink at home? Ah, my three favorites at the moment, um, or my two favorites, are Louis Martini's Gnarly Vines in Mandel, I think is the best, the best of the bunch. And then they're making a really nice um, Cabernet uh, Rosé, which is good for summertime and lighter drinking. Uh, and they have a Sauvignon Blanc, um, which is also pretty good, but I like the rosé better. <laughs> That's okay. Yeah. That's the beautiful yeah, thing so about wine. There's yeah. something for everybody, right? So right now, but man, there's a lot of good wine in the valley. I mean, it's really hard to find anybody that makes a mistake. <laughs> That's good. We are in the Napa Valley, after all. Are there mistakes? Sure, but you're not going to hear about them. <laughs> what do you think the best part of living here is? Uh, well, my dad used to. Uh, my dad's comment always was that grapes love to grow in beautiful places, and so it's it's just beautiful to be here. I mean, it's California weather. California politics, I could live without, but California weather. <laughs> the California weather, the California scenery, um, the agricultural background. Uh, agri- agri- when I first came back from New Jersey, and I'd been living in working in an area like I was in a bank, so. I was working where there was there was no necessarily seasonal holiday to the work, you know, and, and I, people I'd hang around with, they were in sales jobs and stuff, and they, it just get more and more competitive. Everybody trying to beat each other, they just get frantic. They can make themselves crazy. I came home, and so the first year I was I was like I was frantic. Can we get this done that then? <laughs> no, we can't do it right now because we got to get ready for harvest. No, you can't do it between September and November because it's harvest. No, well, winter time's not a good time to work on anything. It's raining. 
No. No. There was always. So everything slowed down to the seasons, and it would take years to get things done that you could do in one year in other parts of the country. <laughs> but yeah, but that's a, not a bad thing on your psyche. So. I, yeah, I like how it's just so comfortable and inviting and relaxed here. Every day is like being on vacation, but we still work. We just had four months vacation, thanks to the government. <laughs> yeah, yay. <laughs> okay, on that note, let's wrap things up with five quick questions, shall we? These are really lighthearted. You ready? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I promise I'll, I'll try not to stump you. What kind of car do you drive? A Ford Expedition. Okay. What was the last vacation you took? Four months. <laughs> okay. Other <laughs> than the last the U.S. government. Other than the unplanned vacation you just had. Well, a longest vacation. Um, Where did you go? The best trip we've taken, my husband and I, was in 2014. We went to France because the kid was over there in school, and so we went. So we had a French girl as a as a private tour guide for. Uh, the museums in Paris and stuff. And then we went up to Normandy, which my husband has always wanted to do. So we visited Normandy. And then we went through the tunnel to England. And we joined up with the Bolitnikovs, who are, do you remember Freddie Bolitnikov? He was, he's a Hall of Fame wide receiver for the Oakland Raiders. Oh. Okay. And he's our age, so he's in the 70s now. But he was doing PR for them. And they were playing at Wembley. Uh, stadium in london the raiders versus miami i think it was oh how interesting we'd bought the lot at uh, an auction wine auction for something okay so we went over there and we knew the bolitnikov so we kind of joined up with them and then toured around for uh two or three days over the weekend and went to the game and then after that packed up and went home we stayed a few more days and we went up to duxford i think it was but it was one of my my dad was stationed at Honington, and Duxford is another one of the little air strips that they flew out of for World War II. And he was an armaments officer at Huntington. So we went up there, and Duxford has a big museum of all of the World War II stuff. So we went and toured that, which was kind of interesting because you see the English countryside and how you get there and get around and. The proximity to France, you know, you're on the English coast, you can see France. So it's like, no wonder they built all these fortifications <laughs> along here. <laughs> for sure. That sounds like a fabulous yeah, vacation. Yeah, that was for a, sure. That was a standout vacation. Okay, here's something on a lighter note. What's the last piece of candy that you ate? Ooh, candy, candy, candy. Actually, uh, one of the things I did this uh, enforced vacation was made ice cream from scratch. And so... That is, okay, that's it, not candy. No, but it's the last sweet thing. <laughs> I ate. I, I keep trying you to put master. candy in it? <laughs> I keep trying to master. Uh, well, it would have to be some kind of chocolate candy. Right. Like M&M's <laughs> or something. But I keep trying to master peanut brittle. And um, I have a pretty good recipe. But then I wanted to be able to make peanut brittle without caro syrup. Because it's hard to find that. People think it's something wrong with it. So they, you have to really go look for caro syrup. So my son said, the cook says, to take regular white sugar, like a cup of white sugar, right, and add uh, a tablespoon of molasses. Oh, to get and the color. And then beat it up and then melt that and use that as your carrot syrup. Have you tried that? I did try that. It gives it a really nice 
um, it's a it's a richer taste than caro because it's the molasses taste in there, mm-hmm. and it worked all right except that um, then you have to rejuggle because a lot of the recipes will call for soda, which offsets the acid in the caro syrup. You don't have the caro syrup. You don't the the soda just explodes the stuff and it's all fluffy instead of being hard like. It's interesting. I haven't quite beat it yet, but I'm working on it. It sounds like a a fascinating variation of peanut brittle, (laughs) for sure. (laughs) Favorite actress or actor? Oh, my favorite actress is either Audrey Hepburn or Catherine Hepburn. Okay. Both of them. Okay. They're just stunning women, especially Audrey. She was uh, she was a number one class act. She certainly was. And, Did she ever uh, come to the Napa Valley? I don't know. No. Um, and I've got of the guys. Well, right now I'm hooked on um, The Witcher, the Netflix show. Yeah, I haven't caught that it's one. It's based on this. Uh, it, it's actually started out as a video game. It's based on this Polish writer who writes fantasy fiction. And it's a whole fictional world where they actually have, there's a layer of magic that operates so it would be like our world except that there are people who can do things magical things okay Okay. and a witcher is what he sounds like he's half witch and he's got so he's got powers beyond and you love the actor and i love the actor is henry cabill oh it's the fellow who played superman yeah 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 yeah, the I news candy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he is eye candy. I agree. I agree. I might doing, have to find that show. <laughs> he's doing a real good job with this thing because I read the books. And there's like six books to follow this Witcher story. And I read the books and they're staying pretty true, pretty true to the books. Oh, that's and he, impressive. He's doing a really nice interpretation of the, the character. Oh, great. Well, I was going to ask you, what was the last book you read? Well, those. Right now I'm reading a Jesse Stone by Robert Parker. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. Uh, which is, you know, he's not been around for quite a while. So this is an older book. Um, I have finally I have finally gotten myself to the point where if I start a book and it absolutely drags or is so badly written I can't stand it or whatever, um, I quit. Oh, and good. I don't feel obliged to keep reading. When I was younger, I used to, I, I have to finish it. Once I start a book, I have to finish it. How much time do you waste doing that? I mean, you know, there's billions of books out there. <laughs> right. You don't have to I torture yourself. 14, 14 or 1,500 books in our Kindle library, Amazon, <laughs> taking up hard drive space. Yeah. yeah, no reason to keep on with a book that doesn't have your attention or is entertaining you. Right? So what's really nice is Amazon has this whole thing where they call Kindle something or other where they you can post books. They'll let you there's books that you can try out and read free. Oh, yes. Yeah, so you don't have to buy them. So that's kind of cool because it's a way to find new authors that you, you know, cuz you're always looking. We read through you know, the, it takes a poor author two to three years to write a book, and it takes us like 20, two evenings to read it. <laughs> right. <laughs> so you read through his whole everything. When you find a new author, you read through everything in a couple of months, and then you're looking around some more. So For something this else. This is a way to, to start finding these guys that write these series. That's, uh, that's true. Yeah. Well, Carolyn, so lovely to spend time with you today. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you.
Visit WineCountryWomen.com to join our exclusive list so you can be the first to learn about upcoming offers and events. Grab a glass and join us next week for a new edition of Wine Country Women.